Hello and welcome to my Caravan Industry Insights podcast. This podcast is for anyone working in the caravan industry, whether you're from a manufacturer, supplier or dealer here in the UK or elsewhere. So listen every week to hear insights, interviews and marketing tips to help keep you and your business more informed and successful. I'm John Rawlings, a journalist and communications expert with a lifelong passion for caravanning and 20 plus years PR and events experience in the car and caravan industries. From starting in the editorial team at Practical Caravan Magazine to working in the press offices at Vauxhall, Volvo and Volkswagen and now in my own business specialising in the caravan industry. Hello, this is the first episode of my Caravan Industry Insights podcast of 2023. So let me start by saying Happy New Year. I hope you've had a great time over the Christmas holidays and are ready for this new year ahead of us. Let's face it, it's going to be an interesting year ahead. 2021 and 2022 have generally been really, really good for the caravan industry. Well, apart from a few supply chain issues, of course, but the demand has been strong. And we're going into this new year with some issues floating around in the economy. But let's be positive. And I thought one person I should speak to to start the year is someone with a good grasp on the on the industry and particularly from a user perspective. He is none other than Nick Lomas, the Director General of the Caravan and Motorhome Club. So with a large network of sites across the UK, over 300 odd thousand members to, to look after, I think this is a quite informative interview, actually. A really good way to start the year, that's for sure. I worked out in the interview that I've actually known Nick for just over 18 years since he started at the club, which uh, that's quite a while. But he's come up with some, well, he's been very open and honest, made some very good points. We talk about the likely influences. Or as First of all, we start with how 2022 has, has gone for the club and any sort of very, uh, slight predictions he, he can, his insight into, into the year 2023 ahead. But let's face it, we're just going to have to wait and see how that pans out. But generally, he seems very positive and I'm really pleased to hear that. So without further ado, let's let me finish rambling and I will leave you to listen to my interview with Nick. Here he is. So in this week's episode, I have a very important person in the caravan industry to interview. It's Nick Lomas, the Director General of the Caravan and Return Club. It's a really neat little introduction. Other than that, I don't think. But it needs to tell us a bit more about his, his world and, and the responsibilities and how the club has been doing over these interesting last couple of years and going forward. And without further ado, hello, Nick. Hello, John. Very nice to speak to you. And to see you and speak to you as well. Yes. It's been a, well, it's been a little while since the, since the show. Where, where should we start, really? I was looking at your own LinkedIn profile today. And I see you've been at the top for nearly 18 years now. I didn't realise it was quite that long. Gosh, I don't think I really realised it was that long. Yeah, probably. 2005. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah I left by now. I left financial services wanting to do something that I felt was slightly more tangible and rewarding. Right. Uh, but I didn't really expect it would last as long as this. And I just, there you go. You started as a head of marketing, director of marketing or something, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I, I was director of marketing at the club and we went through quite a big boom time in the sort of late 2000s with the club's centenary program, which I was responsible for and membership grew very well. Yeah. And then my predecessor stepped aside and I was appointed director general. So yeah, that's been a, a fun job, I have to say. I'm sure it is. It's, it's a great institution to be part of. I think the slightly more worrying thing is I can remember when you started as well. So that's, that's 18 years. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Indeed, I can remember. I can remember meeting you for the first time, I think, John, many, oh, many years ago as well. Yeah, at the show and stuff. Remember, it was like 18 years ago, was it? 
mm. probably still at Paxil I remember and maybe yeah. I can't remember anyway so and you're just leaving or just left oh, oh, yeah I, I can't quite remember to be honest I don't know I mean, whatever, whatever. <laughs> so, how how are you? And tell tell me how the club is doing. Have, it's been a, a transitional year after COVID and pandemics and stuff. A bit more normality crept into things. Yes, it has been a year where sort of the patterns for touring have gone back to more normal. I think really, right. and, and you know the the overseas markets opened up again after sort of a difficult first quarter. I think really with lots of the re- it's hard to believe that we still had sort of restrictions and. Yeah. And, you know, borders closed and so on, you know, you know, a year or so ago. Yeah. But, but actually, yes, it's been a, a much more usual year this year, I have to say. And we, we're really pleased as a club that we've continued to grow. We've, we've continued to grow our numbers of members. We've continued to grow our occupancy and we've got our investment plans for our sites net, which is obviously where we reinvest most of the surplus funds if the club makes any surplus back into the network. So it's really nice to be able to do that as well because uh, we had quite a lot of pent up, you know, capital projects that we deferred or were just not able to do with the pandemic. So it's yeah, good to yeah. get back to doing, to doing those things. So, I mean, and I know you talk about occupancy rates probably don't you across your normal network. How, how many sites have you got? We have, we have a total network of just over 200 main UK sites and 165-ish of those are actually owned and operated by the club. And then obviously we license about 2,300 certificated locations, which are the small sort of kind of farm and rural sites that we have a special exemption under that. 1960 Caravan Act, which allows us to to license those for their independently operated. Yeah, and generally occupancy has been been good. It's been pretty much where we expected it to be. We we're expecting a strong year because of the staycation effect of the last few few years, and also the growth in our membership. We we're expecting to have good site occupancy, and indeed, it's proved to be the case. So I'm I'm sitting here now, just at the end of the year, looking into the next one, and feeling that we've pretty much made most of our targets, which is nice. Oh, well done. So have you got uh, how many of them are open over Christmas? Are they? Uh, we we have about fifty sites open year round, and in the right to Christ- Christmas and year, and just into the new year period, it's just over seventy. Yeah, I think so. And are there more and more people going away in, in winter time? Do you think? Yes, certainly there are. I think modern vehicles are obviously much better for it. You know, they're well insulated with the kind of grade three insulation and so on. And obviously also we have more motor homeowners and campervan owners who tend to be, you know, use their vehicle year round, possibly because they cost them quite a bit more money and so on value from them. Yeah. And also, you know, it lends itself to shorter city breaks, I think, which which you find a lot of a lot of where the popular sites are obviously in, in, in the shoulder seasons. They're not the sort of coastal sites so much as as the, the city sites. Okay, cool. And quite a lot of people actually go away for Christmas in their caravans, don't they? Yeah, they do. So it's a bit of a tradition, you know. People, you know, lots of people meet up with friends and family, and the best mm-hmm. way for them to do that, if they if they all if they have a touring vehicle, is they can all you know congregate together in one place on a site. So there's yeah. usually a great atmosphere over Christmas, and particularly New Year. New Year is pretty oh, much yeah. a time for people to go out nice. into it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So 2023, you're hoping it's going to be equally good, or any inbound trends? Is it, are the expectations levels still good? Well, memberships, memberships at the club continues to grow. So Excellent. on that basis, wow. we're reasonably optimistic. But of course, everybody knows there's just so many sort of headwinds and uncertainty economically yeah. and, and with energy costs and fuel costs, which I think we'll probably all talk about over the, the coming few minutes. But as a result of that, there's quite a lot of 
I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But fundamentally, we're reasonably optimistic. Yes. So we're projecting to have a, a you know a good year again. We're we're expecting not that there's that been not a lot of retrenchment. We do expect the club and our occupancy to continue to grow. But I think the pace of that is inevitably going to slow down, and and we'll see some of the things that we traditionally always see when you know times are a bit tough and in recessionary times. People don't travel so far. They cut down the sort of length of their stays, have yeah. fewer holidays and don't go so far, don't spend so, so much time away. Yeah. And, and that obviously changes the kind of occupancy patterns and so on. Okay. Uh, but yeah, fundamentally, lots of people, in our case, over 380,000 families have made the commitment to own a leisure vehicle. And so we hope that we'll be their first choice of what they will do to have their holidays because people always want a holiday. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, although the costs have gone up, caravanning is still a good value holiday at the end of the day, isn't it? I was looking this week, we're looking to go away with my in-laws, who sadly are not caravanners. I'm looking to rent a house in Cornwall in, in August. And the prices are, yeah. uh, I will buy watering for some of the bigger properties that can get, get one of the family in. And cranky, that would be a good deposit on another the caravan. <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, rationally, that is what has happened over the last few years. Quite a lot of people have done that mass, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. And I and I think because of our changing relationship with Europe and, you know, it's kind of the 90-day rules with the Schengen limits after Brexit and so on, yeah. all people are, are, are buying in the UK or they're buying left vehicles when perhaps they might have considered a holiday home abroad or, or something like that. Okay. And they now feel that's probably, they can't get as much value from that. So right. that that's, that's, I think, helping the UK industry. Well, okay, that's cool. But are people confident about going abroad again? And travel bookings, uh, overseas travel bookings picked up because, I mean, but a great department there that deals with all that. Like you mentioned yeah. many times. Yes, our overseas yeah. travel team had a had a very difficult time during the pandemic, as I'm, I'm sure you would would know, because we, well, in fact, I was involved in with you on a, on a thing yeah. interest had to, you know, rush back as the borders were closing. And we obviously had to repatriate quite a lot of people. And then effectively put that business on ice for a period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we expected last year in pretty boom that we do about 80% of the normal year because right. we didn't, you know, we didn't exactly know. We, we had to make an assumption and that seemed our sort of best working assumption based on everything we could see. And in fact, it pretty much worked out. Like, it? The, main, the main reason for it being a bit quiet in the normal year was because around this time last year, borders were still closed. With uncertainty about children and vaccinations for children, oh, yes. what would be accepted and what wouldn't be accepted in certain that's, countries. That's and that made it really difficult for families, I think, to plan a European holiday. So in the July, yeah. August period last year, yeah. there was quite a lot less families travelled. And then, of course, we had, there were some little interruptions at the ports as well. You may remember in the middle of last year as well, about that time with P&O and, and so so on. So, so that sort of meant that it wasn't the most busy year, but we did about 80% of what we expected in a normal year. This year, this coming year, we're expecting as the borders are all open again, and there's a fair amount of pent up demand for people wanting to explore into Europe again. Yeah. Um, that we do expect it to be a strong year. We also have quite a lot of new members who in the last couple of years have got used to the UK. They're now quite, they're not newbies or novices anymore. Okay. And they're getting more adventurous. And when you're yeah. more adventurous, people travel abroad. So okay, yeah. we think we think next year will be a good year for European travel. Okay, that's cool. So I moved down to southwest France in July this, this year, 2022. And there were very, very few, I booked us from the club, but there were very few English people on just where we were on the particular campsite. Very, very, very few. Until we stopped at a site of the, of the French coast near La Rochelle. And then all of a sudden... 
they were, they were loads of English. I don't know whether people were maybe not going as far or being a bit more sensible there in their fuel costs, etc. But yeah, possibly that. I think lots did go to their traditional haunts. And as you probably know, that that's that western coast of France around La Rochelle is a hugely popular area with the Brits. So yes, I think there is some of that. There also were genuinely some some European campsites who were, uh, you know, catering very much to their domestic market because they, they'd seen it, you know, while the borders were closed, that that was where to put their marketing effort and their kind of promotional effort. And, and I think, you know, French locals had books up fairly early. So and that thing ended in the site. I was almost deathly busy. No pad, it was packed, but not just not many for it. So it was interesting. I don't mind yeah. that though. I quite like not hearing any English people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to get that authenticity, isn't it, when you're in France to the English yeah, yeah. Well, there's a whole whole hooks of nationalities, but it's cool. You can't understand what they're saying. You don't mind what they're what they're going on about. Yeah. So how you say club membership has grown? Are, they, are you getting some new people in from from this sort of you know, pandemic and the new people staycation etc. Are they new to care any other times? Yes, they are. In the in the majority, yes, yeah. they are. We 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 survey members as a whole regularly, as you probably know, within the club, and we serve new members. We survey new members as well a couple of times a year to understand whether they sort of where, why they join the club, what they like about it, what they don't like, and what we can do better. And also to kind of understand what their plans are in the future. More than more than half our people that have joined in the last couple of years are new to the pastime. Genuinely new; uh-huh. they've never done it before. Well, that's really good news, isn't it? And that explains the, the big demand for eligible vehicles out there as well, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. And one of the really interesting things is I think they're all, they're all genuinely surprised by the quality of facilities, the quality of the units that they buy and the, the overall experience and their fellow members uh, have what nice people they are. Because well, uh, I think we all know it. We all know <laughs> in the industry that actually yeah. it's a great way to have a holiday, and we know that our sort of the fellow leisure vehicle enthusiasts are really nice folk. But you know, if you're not in our niche, and it is a niche, let's be honest, it's not yeah, something so, that the majority of people do. Yeah. They, you know, they're pleasantly surprised how how great an experience they. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. There's lots of people out there that haven't set for the caravan or motorhome. Ever probably, I still meet people. You know, at, at school, for instance, at his school, we when I say what I do, they go, "Oh, we get," and they just have, they just have no idea. It's just a complete another world to them. It's amazing. I do try and teach them, of course, do my bit. But I think, well, that's right. And and as an industry, we still have to have a lot of work to do, don't we? To yeah, that's you know, point. To demonstrate, you know, the the relative luxury of of the accommodation these days compared to what they might imagine, which is you know a childhood camping trip or yeah. or something with. You know, know, people still talk about gas mantles and, you know, single glazed windows dripping with water and uh, heating and a pump and all of these kinds of crazy things that, you know, the vintage caravan enthusiasts still all dearly love, of course, but for majorities of people are just not really what you experience nowadays. No, no, of course they have come on as such a little I know when we did the the Bailey trip up to the Arctic Circle and you you were there for two days and and I told people we'd done that trip. People say, oh, why do caravans have heaters in then? Yes. There's a these sub-Arctic conditions and it's perfectly, perfectly doable. So yeah, there's still a bit of a bit of PR to be doing for the whole industry still. We, we can't stop that, can we? No, that's right. We've got to continue to work hard with it. I mean, it's been great over the last few years because there has been quite a lot more positivity coverage, TV coverage yes. along those lines. Yes. Yes. The sort of caravan shows have been covered by the media and then you've yes. had the road trip programmes from... I don't know whether it's Fred and Gordon and I can't remember the other one's name <laughs> or uh, Miriam Margo- Margolis or Margolis. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 
driving around Scotland and and, and all yeah. sorts of other people really. So you know yeah. we have got a better profile, I think, and a more positive profile. But there's still more work to do. Lots. Yeah, and the, and the explosion of YouTube channels and people people recorded all of this and showing people what fun it is as well. I think that, that's really intellectual as well. Oh, so really good. Yes, so, absolutely. I noticed this year that your your annual, what was used to be called the National, is now called Hubfest. That's quite an interesting thing. Change. Is it, tell me, can you tell me a bit more about that? Does that reflect these new people coming into onto the partnership? Yeah, absolutely, it does. I mean, having a kind of national event, people to all come together, you know, sponsored by the club is is a kind of really important thing of being a social organisation, which yeah, we fundamentally are. But we could see that the world was changing. And that people particularly enjoy, you know, the, the bands and the sort of outdoor festival atmosphere. And lots and lots of people were experiencing that, but we're, you know, the club wasn't part of that. So we decided to create Club Fest, which is basically our own outdoor festival, which takes place over the late May bank holiday at, at a lovely location somewhere in the UK every, every year. Yes. So, and that was a, we, we planned to do all of that before. The pandemic, but unfortunately, I had to all put it on ice. Uh, oh, and then chill. we're very pleased to be able to, go to be the capsule this year to do that and sold out. In fact, we really? it sold out within a matter of weeks. So, so how uh, many, Emily? Uh, yeah, we had about two thousand. As such, now we we've got a headache because we've got a series of visions and venues that we're talking to for for future events, and obviously we need more land because we need to accommodate more. Yeah. So we have just a yeah. few hundred more than that that we're planning at Kelmarsh Hall this year in Northamptonshire, and gradually over time, I think we're we're hoping to get some more more space at venues. But you know, it is a challenge to find venues yeah. that are in convenient yes. locations yes. that have sufficient land that isn't uh, available. That is a big, big event to organise. Gosh, two thousand. Well, that's two thousand units. That's that's at least double that in terms of number of people as well, isn't it? Yes, and with wow. the families and so on. Yeah, you're yeah. having you know five, six thousand people on yeah. site. So, have you changed the format of the event? Is there more sort of live music and stuff? Is it? Yeah, it, it basically has live music every day, which starts kind of with a kind of cent. This sort of, you know, kind of more. What would you say? Kind of laid back kind of stuff every afternoon. But then obviously the sort of bigger acts in the evening, you know, in a, in a kind of open air, you know, concert kind of format. Yeah. And it, we try to appeal to different genres and different decades and, yeah. and so on, on different nights. And that's all free and included in your, your, your own thing. pitch B. Thanks. Yeah. So I think you got the formula right. It sounds, it sounds really good, doesn't it? How long ago did you change the name in the club then for the Karen Club to the Karen and Motorhome? It's very interesting. 2017, it had been in the, boil for a little while, we'd seen yeah. the trends that more and more people were buying motorhomes, manufacturing numbers for, for motorhomes and campervans was increasing in the UK. Yeah. And while they'd all been welcoming the club, um, you know, when you type it into Google, if you don't yeah. have motorhome, <laughs> you know, you don't crop up. You know, the reality is with social media and people searching for organizations based on that. So, you know, you know, the clue in the name. So yes. we changed the name to reinforce we were actually inclusive and welcoming of, of all kind of leisure vehicles. So, so yeah, yeah and it's been a, a, a great success. You know, somewhat controversial at the time because a 110-year-old institution changing its name yeah. is a relatively brave thing to do. Yeah, but, but I think most of us now recognise it was a really positive thing and it's enabled the club to continue to grow and to invest in new sites and improve facilities for all members. Well, yeah, I think it was definitely the right thing to do. And I've God, God's completely used to it now. It's like, oh, I've got a hundred and what's called Caravan Club. So, yeah, for all the new people, they're, they're different, all they? 
No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, the reality is with that growth in membership, probably half people that are in the club now join host that name change. So it's all they've ever known. Oh, wow. yeah. um, I do monitor the split between Canavan and uh, Campbell and Motorhome owned. And is that changing? Yes, yes. When we started and sort of looking at that, it was about 30% of members owned a, a Motorhome or a Campervan. And it's now, in fact, this year just ticked over. So the majority now own a motorhome or a camper van. Uh, and I think that, 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 that sort of also, you know, mirrors, I think, what's happening with sales of vehicles and the increasing appeal of, of motorhomes as well. And motorhomes tend to last a little bit longer as well. So, you know, when you end the manufacturing data, the average age of a motorhome is a little bit longer than the average age of a caravan, I think. But yeah, so about 60% of new new members into the club own a motorised vehicle. So, God, that's a lot of surprise. It's gone that horse already. That's an interesting trend. I think one thing to remember, John, is that we obviously had quite a high share of all the people who had a, car- a trailer caravan. Yeah. So uh, okay. the, the growth uh, and, and the new members, you know, have, have obviously disproportionately come from people who had motorhomes and campervans suddenly realising if they didn't understand that they could join the club and they were very welcome. <laughs> okay, that's, that's important, yeah. But the UK is one of the few countries in Europe where we still sell more caravans than motorhomes, I believe. In, they do in Holland, Germany and France and other places. It's, it's the vast majority of motorhome sales. That's right. And, and we, we watched that trend over a number of years. And in fact, if you, if you look at that trend, even in the UK, it is... It is changing that way. It's motorhome based. Yeah. There's obviously some particular reasons within Europe. You know, if you live in Germany, you can drive 30,000 miles in any direction almost mm-hmm. on you without having to cross a, an area of sea or get on a plane. Whereas I think the island mentality perhaps makes a little bit of difference in the UK. But, but it's that convenience, wow. I think, you know, motorhome owners and, and caravan owners who switch to motorhomes because there's quite a lot of that gone on within, within the membership as well. You know, tell us it's that, you know, you sacrifice the ability to have a vehicle when you arrive at site to go and do other things, which you have obviously with a car if you tow. Yeah. But you obviously have the convenience of being able to go from place to place very quickly with with lower set, set up times and hooking up yeah. times. Yeah, that you get with a method. I've done both, and there's, there's definitely clinging pros and cons to loads really. Yeah, as a family, we we probably prefer better homes. Certainly easy to travel, and as you say, the setup time. But if you're going into Europe, which is is the big, the motorhome wins there, doesn't it? With the with the network of airs and places like that to stay at as well. If you just want a, a quick night or something, I think that's that lots of fuel in that as well. Yeah, I think that's it. If you're on longer trails or you're touring in a t- traditional sense, of site to site to site, place to place to place. Yeah, that's when a motorhome yeah. comes into its own. If you want to sort of base for a long, a long stay holiday by a beach or whatever, then you know, yeah. don't be to Tora. Yeah, yeah. But the campervans are included in the sort of motorhome category, aren't they? And there's such a growth in that sector that uh, we could be talking about, you know, classic UW campervan, as well as a motorhome in, in the same bracket, really, aren't we? We are, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm using it in a generic sense because yeah. we we can. If it's just a motor, if it's a motorized van, then it's welcome. We couldn't. Change the name to be caravan, motorhome, and camper van. Too much. But as you say, the, the, the sort of smaller van category has certainly boomed. Lots of people using them as, you know, they, they have, as a multi purpose vehicle. Yeah, sure. they, they use it during the, you know, they take the kids to school with it during the week and yeah, yeah. as a daily driver. And then in the weekends, uh, it becomes a leisure vehicle or a bit of recreation. They're so desirable and cool, are they? Cool. Uh, That's right. So, talk about trends and things. Obviously, let's let's get on to the latest trends of uh, what people need when they're on sites. There's 
Well, I switch. I need to read a, I learned a very small campsite in the Trenchy recently. It was in quite a panic about the cost of electricity. Well, the cost of everything going up, but particularly electricity and how much electricity people use while they're on site because they've got an electric ring on their cooker, they'll use that. And electric heaters for awning, but then of course the issue of charging electric cars now as well. So and that was a campsite only with one campsite, but someone like you is. Having really 50 or 200 of the sites, that is a phenomenal challenge. I would imagine. How, how on earth are you getting your head around all that? Well, it's certainly very painful. I bet. You know, we all, we all have got to start using less energy, haven't we? You know, and we've also got to generate as much energy as we can sustainably and, and so on. So, I mean, we have, we've had over a number of years, you know, an energy efficiency drive and all our new facilities blocks uh, and so on have low energy LED lighting, usually solar and sometimes ground source heat pumps and so on yeah. for, for heating and so on. Uh, so we try to 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 minimise our own energy use, but eighty percent of the energy consumed on our network is consumed by the members themselves in their own units. So, wow. um, wow. yeah, book, plugging into hookup costs us. You know, our bill for electricity is probably going to be something like fifteen million pounds. Wow, that's a major major cost. Though yeah. we have the same concerns as your as your campsite owner in in Cheshire. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, one of the things that is definitely going to happen, I, I think, if energy prices stay this way, is that, you know, there's really no alternative. And the fairest way to deal with this is to meter, uh, you know, at the pitch. Yeah. And we, we have got plans to do that. We've been looking at suppliers to help us do that. And we have two trial sites that will be bringing it forward this year, two locations where we'll actually be doing that. And we're going to trial two different methods for doing it. To be honest, we haven't found, found the most convenient and really easy way to do it. Our absolute ideal would be, you know, just a tap and go kind of model where you arrive on your pitch and you just tap the bollard and it switches the electricity on with your with your, with your debit card. And, yeah. uh, but no one has a really good system that does that. And oh. we, we, we're really frustrated by that, but we're working in the background to do something about it. But in the meantime, um, you know, we have to go with the charging processes that there are, but everybody's got an electric vehicle planes about you know the the system's not working properly or not authorizing things properly and you know they're quite unreliable sometimes and that you have to have an app and sometimes the apps don't work and you know all of that just seems to be you know not well resolved yet by the industry and unfortunately we'll just have to deal with that so one of the parts of, of this trial is to actually you know understand all those difficulties and all those barriers and to try and then design something that doesn't have as many of those difficulties and barriers as we can before we roll it out more broad okay. uh, but yes and obviously, we will obviously reduce pitch prices commensurately with the electricity uh, bill so that people will have a lower, you know, a lower price yeah. and then they'll just pay for the electricity that they use. And, and again, we need to do the maths on all of that based on what we see happening. So yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting project for 2023. But. That's a lot of number crunching to zoom down as well, isn't it? Gosh, that's a real challenge. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. Although it's not just the UK that this must be affecting. A, a new, a new deal with a lot of European organizations. So I guess you're hearing the same thing from, from other countries. Yes, that's right. And, but, but we just wanted to try and find, we want to try and find a solution that's, you know, not too labor intensive for our site teams, but also doesn't involve in loads of people having to queue to pay their, 
bills at the end of the, you know, oh, the yeah, stay yeah. and all of those yeah. things. We want it to really be as convenient as possible. So yeah, it's it's going to be a learning curve for us all. But I think it's something we, we you know, we want to do because we want to save, you know, everybody wants to save energy. And um, I think also it means that those people that have made those decisions to, to use solar, to use a bit of their gas for their cooking or for whatever else, don't feel that they're paying for electricity that other people are using, which which are a standard, you know, all one size fits all, one single prize, obviously, you know, throws up those, those discrepancies. It's been quite an emotive issue. I've seen various Facebook groups with uh, animated discussions on the subject of charging and uh, how much is charged and what we reviewed. So that sounds like a fair solution to me. I think that's perfectly, perfectly. And that might encourage people to go a bit more off-grid and not, not in a hookup at all. Yeah, I think you probably will. I think there are some people certainly, it was really interesting. I, 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 I have a, a camp of the van at my own and in the summer it wasn't a particularly good summer this year but actually although I was hooked up I realised that if my fridge works off the gas I didn't need any heating at all mm-hmm. really I could have actually survived without electricity you know I could charge my phone from the the you know the, the solar I didn't really need for for two weeks I didn't really need any any electricity at all and certainly you go to France or you go to, you know, to, to, to Southern Europe where it's very warm, but you know, the same and sunny, the same things fly. So I think it will encourage more people to, to save energy, which is what we all need to do, of course. Well, that's probably a good thing as well. I mean, also he minimizes the amount of gas you get to as well, I suppose, for some people. But yeah, that's interesting. I think if that makes the trip away, even less. Been valued, you haven't got to pay for it just in the first place. I can't see, I can't think of any better solution than you're, you're already planning, right? That's good. And um, what is your policy for charging electric cars on the bubble club sites? Do you allow it? Yes, we, we, yeah, we do allow it. We just ask that people tell us and we make a charge for that. We have a flat facility charge for the convenience of being to charge at your pitch. And we recommend that you do that by actually plugging in through the consumer units in the, in your outfit, in your caravan or your motorhome. Don't right. plug directly into the bollard itself, right? Because then you don't have the same circuit protection. But uh-huh. yes, we do, and we ju- we just charge a flat, flat facility fee, which is based on you you telling us that that's what you're going to do. And obviously, we uh, you know we can obviously see if people have got leads trading into their vehicles. But so the site teams do just keep an eye. But yes, we we've done that, and we found most people are fairly comfortable with that. But obviously, we don't have a uh, fast charging at, at most pictures. So mm-hmm. we do on all new site developments and on our site redevelopments, we are putting in yeah. some sort of seven kilowatts, sometimes 21 kilowatt charging points, which are obviously payable with a, a, a needed system like uh, like any other kind of commercial charging yeah. points. And we're putting those in as we, as we go around. One of the challenges for us is that some of our locations are fairly rural and the electricity supply into those sites and those villages is sometimes very low and we're restricted on the speed of the charges that we can put in as a result. But I expect all of that will improve over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still quite early days. I mean, presumably you don't have that many people with electric cars or yet. We'll probably put in hybrids and stuff. Yeah, there's quite a lot, quite a lot of hybrids yeah. and an increasing number of, you know, your Polestars and Teslas and so on, which make, you know, reasonable tow cars yeah. at the moment, but still obviously in a minority. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. just a handful really on sites. Yeah. But I noticed at the tow car awards this year, there was, there was quite a large number of the, there was a much faster thing shows the way it's going. Yes, I think it does. I, I think. The really impressive things to me is you've driven them and then driven them actually as, as tow vehicles. They, they are, you know, because the torque is so brilliant from any mm-hmm. speed and because they are, you know, generally kind of quite weighty, weighty things with their uh, batteries. 
um, which are kind of low down, the, the, you know, in the chassis, that you end up with a really stable and solid tow vehicle that's just so tractable. And they're really pleasant to tow with. The challenge is the range at the moment. You know, I think that you, you really yeah. struggle to get more than about 120, 130 miles yeah. from, a, from a typical towing trip, I would say. But that said, that said, most of our members for a weekend break go about 80 miles on average. And of course, uh, you know, if you, you can drive 120, 130 miles, and then when you get there, you can charge up again on site. It's not so inconvenient. I can imagine that, you know, more and more people will think it, you know, it is a viable thing to do. If you're on a very, very long trip, yeah, you're going to have to stop and charge, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the reality for many years. Range yeah. is improving, but still got some way to go. Yeah, yeah. And the other issue is you sort of charge on the on the trip somewhere, on the motor service. So you've got to hit the kind of road and park it somewhere, and it's not ideal until the service, the petrol stations change over to being more electric. But oh, well, there's, there's a few in development, aren't there? There's a few pilot ones around the country, and that, that sort of thing. Well, it's got to go that way, isn't it? I can't press it. But what, what does the type? It's right. It's really interesting because we're in touch with obviously all the sort of uh, clubs across Europe and oh, yeah. the automobile club in Norway, the Norwegian Automobile Federation. Because oh, in Norway, eighty yeah. percent of all cars now are electric. New sales are electric, and about half oh. the entire car park in in Norway is you know you need drive-through yeah. charging yeah. or pull-through charging points for people who are towing. Yeah, uh, and so on and so forth, and you know that does make it much more convenient. And there's a few examples of that coming in in the UK now. And as you say, I think as as things we're encouraging that, and we're trying to talk to the operators to do that for for us and for all sorts of other trailer users. But again, it takes mm. time, and at the moment, it doesn't. You know, it's not catered for it because it's not the majority use. No, it can't happen overnight either. I mean, it's supposed to be a sale, so burn. But I just I saw a news story that the industry association in the states was lobbying. Parliament to you about this issue, really. They want crimes drive to you, not in places as well. So, yeah, it's a global issue for the, for the lesbian vehicle industry, isn't it? But do you, do you, do you have a government defense sort of role as well? Yeah, we do. It's, yeah. it's part of my direct team, actually, within, yeah. within the club. We have, you know, a, a small, small team that looks after all sorts of government consultations and so on. The most, the current one we're looking at is you're probably aware there's a, a visitor levy, what some might call a tourist tax or a, a bed tax being considered by the Welsh and the the Scottish governments because tourism is a devolved responsibility in the UK. So okay. each each local, you know, each country in the UK can, can set its own local rules. And so, you know, we're just, you know, talking about the merits of that. And I'm sure you'd expect we're robustly saying that we don't think that's particularly fair for, for people who bring their own accommodation with them, that they should be charged as tourist tax. We do understand that, you know, people who come to a particular area, you know, bear some responsibility for using the facilities in that area. But we think that obviously, yeah, we're spending money in local shops, in local bars, restaurants, pubs, and so on. So yes, and it's a, it's a difficult area at the moment, obviously, because um, in the UK, we tend to have higher VAT anyway. We had that lovely period in the pandemic we, where we had lower VAT and we had all of that's reversed. In, I know, for example, I've just been to Italy and the VAT on the, you know, leisure activities and hospitality is 10%. Wow. Uh, well, in the UK, it's 20%. Now in yeah. Italy, they charge a tourist tax, but you know, you're not paying 20% back here. You're going to be paying 20% back and right. you're paying a tourist tax. So it's a bit unfortunate. And obviously that's a, that's an issue for local, local economists. But so yes, we, we, we're constantly working with government on all 
all manner of things, you know, which affects, you know, tourists in the UK and leisure vehicle users and owners. Driving licenses. There's all manner of things, as you know, that all the time government bumps into everything. I'm trying to convince government to, you know, improving reliability on the road network, making roads safer, other to bypassing towns when when there's consultations on various new bridges or bypasses. We try to try to also lend our weight to those schemes as well. So yeah, it's a it's a busy but very small area of the club. Yeah, so, so good. But also, you are closely monitoring all the technical advances as well, oh, aren't you? I know uh, Martin Spencer is, is very active on Twitter, etc. And this is a very onlyate when it comes to any, any, well, he goes to various meetings around Europe as well, etc., doesn't he? Keep up to speed with exactly what's going on. It's a vehicle development and, yeah, and new technology. Yes, that's right. Obviously, um, we do have a technical manager who's, you know, I think, well respected in the industry, it's fair yes. to say, and oh, respected yes. in the towing industry and the car industry for yeah. for his knowledge. Yes, and we 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 do things all over Europe on on that as well, because obviously, young members travel into Europe, and there's you know city and low emissions zones and things like oh, that yes, across yes. Europe where we need to understand that and driving rules and regulations. The most recent highway code, as you probably know, there's just been a new highway code in 2022, a new highway code published, and the the sort of towing section of that was largely rewritten and uh, the club was, right. you know, a consultancy and, and generally quite a lot of changes which were incorporated into that, that changed the highway code. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I'll be getting a new hobby. My daughter is turning 17 next month, so we'll be, we'll be dry up on all that very shortly. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. It's something we should all read more often, I think. Because it does change for a time. And after you pass your driving test, you don't often revisit it. Well, you definitely don't, do you, guys? No. What else is there then? How's the, uh, how do you think the camera industry is doing as a whole and how, and your role in it? Would you, what, was it kind of right future, do you think? I think I think what we've seen through the pandemic and what we're we're pleased to see continuing is that yeah, yeah I think consumer demand is there and you've seen that at the shows, haven't you? You know, the attendance wow. at the shows and I think the sales at the shows have been yeah. very good. I'm just you know, I think like everybody in the automotive part of the industry, we we're concerned about the capacity that the the manufacturers have to to build products and the oh, supply good. chain issues they've got, which seem to be yeah. slightly improving, but are certainly nowhere near you know yeah. they're resolved by any means. So I think that's a real issue because you know that is I think artificially slowing down the growth of of, of the market, and mm-hmm. that's really uh, unfortunate. And mm-hmm. it's also making the price keeping the prices of vehicles high, which I'm sure. Is, is good if you're a caravan dealer and and a manufacturer. And I do understand if you've got less product to sell, you could and you've got still cover your overheads. It does make the average cost of units vehicles higher, but that's not good really right. overall. Is it for the affordability of the pastime in the long term? I think we'd all like like you know prices to moderate, but inflation's just a difficult thing in the economy generally at the moment, isn't it? And we're all having to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Is it just uh, just to uh, sort of wrap up a bit, I know you've got a, a campervan now, but if you had, and you must have been to everywhere in, in the UK, across all your club sites, but if you could go take your your vehicle anywhere in the world, where would you, would be your first choice? Dream, dream, take my dream, vehicle. dream destination. Oh, the dream destination. What a difficult, you know, for someone who operates campsites all over the UK, I don't yeah. like asking where my favourite child is. Yeah, yeah. Which well, exclude the UK and make, make it more global. 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 That would be fair, wouldn't it? I don't know. I, I mean, I've had some great experiences in the UK. I love the sense of space in Scotland and in West Wales and, and you know, and, and mid Wales as well. You can't beat the new forest, can you really? Uh, in yeah, Southern England, which is where I, you know, where I live these days. And in Europe, I, I, I find the, the furthest south and the furthest sort of, you know, I love Croatia. 
Absolutely. I think Croatia is a much, well, the UK folk are a relatively un, unexplored destination, you know, because of the distance of it. Uh, if you're a, 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 an Italian or an Austrian or a German, it's mm. certainly not undiscovered. It has to be said. It's, uh, it's obviously very popular. But yes, everybody loves a bit of, bit of the sunshine, don't they? It is nice. Or, it is nice. nice. Yeah. I've seen lots of people going to Croatia this year. It seems we're definitely spiking in the UK people going there, people sort of who I follow on, online, etc. But we're getting more and more. Well, it is popular. You forget, isn't it? I mean, we think it's a new destination for the UK, but as you're saying, the I mean, Italians and the Germans have been going there for a long time, and there's some huge campsites around. That's right, and well, of course, in in former former Yugoslavian times, it was a, a great you know destination then, wasn't it? With with Brits awesome. on uh, on really nice. good value package holidays, and uh, yeah, so it's but it's it's now obviously very much repositioned to a much higher quality and. Well, you know, almost luxurious destination. But yes, but I, I'm a, I'm the mountain. I have to say, I'm a mountain person over a beach person. If you were to ask me, okay. fine wow. between the two. I love love a hill or a mountain as much as I love the, the shivering sea. Ah, uh, I think I'm yeah, probably a sea person more than more. I never did not imagine. Maybe someone in Switzerland where you've got mountains and a lake combined that could have been just really about, just about tick both boxes there <laughs> and then one one final question which i haven't given you a chance to prepare one it's just a fantasy question really which i don't tend to ask those people that i forgot to give you any warning on this one is uh, if you could have a, a barbecue yeah. campsite with three people of your choice not not, really, not family they're dead or alive any ideas who you pick god <laughs> never thought of that well, I am curious about William Gordon Stables, who is, is oh, the founder of so. Leisure Touring Caravanning in the UK, you know, in the 1880s, the pioneer the who had the Wanderer built, coach built to his own specification, and then, you know, yeah. starts the whole leisure pastime. So I think he was slightly eccentric, to say the least. Oh, really? but I think it'd be really <laughs> interesting to <laughs> hear from him. Yeah. Um, other people, I wish in another life I could have been Michael Parkinson because Michael Parkinson has met everybody who was interesting and right. in sort of, so I probably really? like him because he could regale stories of, of, of kind of all the people he's met. And then I don't know, somebody who, probably a politician, probably Churchill or someone like that. Um, because, yeah. you know, just a very interesting, yeah, yeah. very complicated character, I think. <laughs> Interesting stories and so on. Oh, gosh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good combination. And off the cuff, that was a brilliant and a hundred Very well done. Right. Brilliant. Well, I don't even need to take up any more of your time. Thank you very much for doing this. And I will see you next at the parent show in February. Yes, you will. I'm looking forward to it. Really, I really always like going to the NEC. So, uh, meet all the hosts and members and seeing the industry colleagues again. So, uh, yeah, yeah, see you then. Thank well, you very well, much. Sir. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much. Take care. There, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I thought it was really interesting and good to hear Nick's uh, views on the year ahead. I will finish there. Next week, we talk PR with an interview with the Director of Communications at Bentley Motors UK. I know that this is an in in a podcast for the caravan industry, but there's lots of parallels we can learn from the car industry. It's just that they've probably got bigger budgets than, than we do. But the principles, principles are the same. And the person I'm interviewing is an expert uh, with a fantastic reputation. So there is lots for it to learn, listen and learn from. Especially as caravans and motorhomes are, let's face it, desirable items and uh, luxury items for a lot of people, really. So I think you're going to find that one really interesting as well. Okay. That's it. That's the first episode of the year finished. Next week, we will be on to episode two, and I'm sure the rest of the year is going to fly by. 
Thanks very much for listening. I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it and would really appreciate it if you could share it with as many people as possible. Even better, please give me a five-star review in iTunes. It'd be a great help. If you'd like me to interview you, want to suggest someone to interview, or interested in sponsoring this podcast, or want to get in touch with me for any reason, please drop me a line at john at rawlingscommunications.com or message me on Instagram at rawlings underscore comms. Thanks very much. Bye for now.